Lego. Well, I got this for Christmas. 30, 38 pages of instructions. Do you remember when Lego was wee square blocks with four bumps on them? And uh, some of them had six bumps on them and then some of them had some of them had eight and some of them were long thin ones or flat ones. Look at this stuff. Well, You have to follow the instructions because these 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 wee bits just don't fit into anything. Uh, if you get the, if you get the wrong bit in the wrong place, it isn't going to work. Well, oh, that's going to take a wee while. Maybe we'll on up And what is it we're making anyway? <laughs> we're we're making a cherry picker. <laughs> I've always wanted to build a Lego cherry picker. Okay, we're we're continuing today with Nehemiah's adventures in building in Jerusalem. And uh, do you remember last week that he had arrived back in Jerusalem and after three days he, he went out one night in the darkness, keeping it all a bit secret. Didn't want to get too many people uh, wondering what was going on. He took some of the local people who were still involved trying to run things in Jerusalem. And they went around the rubble and the ruins and the streets and they became convinced that maybe actually they could do something. So here we are at the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 3. Now before we read the chapter, the first verse contains a little phrase that I think will help us to grasp what the chapter's about. And the phrase is this, they went to work. Now, a few things just jump into mind immediately. It's work, effort, energy, commitment, sacrifice. And for all of these people, this wasn't just something that they were going to do instead of what they usually did. It was as well as. Because we're going to find out that some of them had, uh, had jobs and activities and everybody was trying to make ends meet and everybody was trying to get through. But they realised if they wanted to do something with their city, there was going to have to be extra work, new work. Maybe going to have to adjust their timetables, move some things around, change a few things. And... Well, the phrase, the, the phrase that jumps into my mind is sacrifice and effort. But, you know, when you think about it, this thing that we're part of, this Church of Jesus Christ, the whole salvation movement of Jesus Christ, how was it started? Sacrifice and effort. Why would anyone ever think that you could buy into the salvation of Jesus Christ? simply for the benefits that you get from it. Surely it's implicit in the gospel message that we're buying into sacrifice, our own sacrifice and our own effort to be part of this, as well as all the benefits that come with it. So anyway, let's read chapter 3. And I'm going to pass this chapter on to Chris to read, but there's a reason for that. It's 32 verses. There are 91 unpronounceable names in 32 verses. It's one of those chapters. So if you're ever looking for a name for a new baby, Nehemiah chapter 3, you'll find any number of names that there's not another soul on earth actually using the name. So unique names in there. So I'm looking forward to see how Chris manages this. I'm sure he'll come up with a bright idea. So Chris, over to you for chapter 3 of Nehemiah. Right. I am now going to do the reading. 
Now, you know the way sometimes you volunteer to do the reading or you end up being lumbered with doing the reading in church and you have that sudden horrified realisation you have drawn the short straw. It's one of those chapters, especially from the Old Testament, which is just full of a big list of names, you know, uh, Benadob, Begat Shibadob and oh goodness me and you're worried about pronouncing their names wrong and everybody who's sitting listening doesn't care whether you uh, pronounce the names wrong they're just thinking oh let it end let it end so this is one of those chapters Nehemiah chapter 3 there's a lot of names coming up it's a big list of everybody who got involved in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem so you know nothing like a challenge I thought this is a long chapter and there's a big list of names and there's a lot of them to get through but you know there's no reason just to switch off for the next two minutes and just sort of sit and try and get through it let's try and make it a little bit more interesting in fact let's see if we can set a world record if we here in Beaver Parish can create the most dramatic reading of Nehemiah chapter 3 that there has ever been. First of all, we need some dramatic music. That will really help. And then we'll set the scene. So we're here uh, under the baking desert sun in the ruins of Jerusalem, the rubble stretching as far as the eye can see, the tang of hopelessness in the air, and yet that little sense that under Nehemiah's leadership, with his vision and energy, we will start to see something beautiful rise from these ashes, rise from this rubble. Are you ready? Let's go. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hanamel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. Now, this is a lot of names, so maybe it would help if we had uh, a face for each name. So from now on, every time we introduce a new name, we'll have a new kind of character to go with them. And we can imagine all of these people kind of working together on rebuilding the walls. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, made repairs, and next to him, Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Jeshana Gate was repaired by Joyada, son of Pasia, and Meshulam, son of Besudia. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Melashia of Gibeon and Jadon of Meronoth, places under the authority of the governor of the Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Harumaf, made repairs opposite his house, and Hattush, son of Hashabeniah, 
made repairs next to him. Malkija, son of Harim, and Hashub, son of Pathamuab, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Awesome, the tower of the ovens. I'd love to visit that. I wonder where they pizza ovens. Shalom, son of Haloshesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zanoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malkija, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakerim. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalun, son of Colhose, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. Beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of a half district of Beth Zur, made repairs up to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and the House of the Heroes. House of the Heroes sounds kind of cool, a uh, little bit kind of Marvel. Let's just pretend that these next guys uh, don't get on with each other and they get into a bit of a scrap. The repairs were made by the Levites under Rehum, son of Bani. Beside him, Hashabiah carried out repairs for his district. Next to him, the repairs were made by their fellow Levites under Benui, son of Henadad. Next to him, Ezer, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house of Eliashab, the high priest. Next to him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired another section from the entrance of Eliashib's house to the end of it. Now, this is a lot of names at this point, so maybe let's start getting a little bit faster and faster and faster and faster. The repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs in front of their house, and next to them, Azariah, son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Next to him, Benui, son of Henadad, repaired another section from Azariah's house to the angle on the corner, and Palal, son of Uzai, worked opposite the angle and the tower projecting from the upper palace near the court of the guard. Next to him, Padiah, son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on the hill of Othel, made repairs up to a point opposite the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. And now for this next bit, these guys don't have to travel far too far to work, they just do repairs right outside where they live. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shekaniah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. Next to them, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. And next to him, Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate, and as far as the room above the corner. And between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs! And that is Nehemiah chapter 3. <laughs> Thanks Chris. That was certainly not a disappointment. So thank you for that. What a great chapter. 
And even though it looks like it's just a long list of names of people and families doing things, but it's surprisingly full of great advice to any organisation that's trying to build something. And I don't necessarily mean building a building, but trying to build community or family or purpose. Equally applicable though, I think some of it to the big picture. A society facing something together like a pandemic. Let's have a wee look at some bits in this. Verse 1 says, they started. Now I feel like we've started. Now we always need to temper these things by, of course the Church of God has been going for centuries. And of course Beaver Parish has been going for decades. And of course we have been going since COVID kicked in and the first lockdown. But it doesn't mean that there isn't a sense of starting new things as we go along. And if you've lapsed into something like uh, just kind of watching this and looking online at a few things uh, and uh, it all feels very static, could I just say that um, it's not static. There are a number of things beginning to happen and there's always been new things happening that you could join in with. Uh, but there are some things that have that sense of physical nature about them as well. So we've started. We're at a moment where we need to ask, how do I join in? Verse 8, I want to take you down there as well. The word agility has been used a lot during uh, lockdown and under restrictions that we keep having to adjust things, don't we? The shops you can go to, the way you get in and out of things, whether you're working at home or working in school or back at the office or, or in the factory or, or wherever it is, constantly adjusting things. The times of everything are different and all of that. Look at in verse 8. It says that the goldsmiths and the perfume makers joined in. Now that means that these people who were gifted craftspeople had to join in with clearing rubble and lifting bricks and carrying and measuring and sweeping up and sweating and all those sorts of things. Very hard. Lots of people are working very hard to make uh, all sorts of things happen for us. Uh, but the life of the church is expanding again. It's not, it's not enough to have it feeling like it's squashed all the time. Some things are beginning to happen. And we know that uh, the life of any kind of community or family requires joining in, serving one another, trying to fit together, sacrificing, doing, effort, talking, listening, praying, worshipping, organising, thinking, caring for one another. Some of this may mean changing our timetables a wee bit or thinking about how we do things. And agility is really important. That ability to move quickly or switch to something else. Let me give you an example. And I'm sorry if this sounds if we're talking about ourselves. But uh, Janice and I uh, joined the food delivery rota for a Wednesday evening. And it's about once every six weeks. And I have to tell you, I have no training in food deliveries. In this sense, I'm a perfume maker. It's not my gift and not my thing, but it needs to be done, so we've got to do it. But here's the difficulty. I play five-a-side football on a Wednesday evening, and that's when the deliveries happen. Now, it takes about 45 minutes. You pick up seven meals from the church, and you go off with your seven addresses, and you drive around, and you deliver them. And it's a perfectly reasonable thing for anybody to be doing. My football starts at seven o'clock and we're about to start in a fortnight and I had a wee quick uh, chat with the people who organise and you know what, the whole lot of them are prepared to change to eight o'clock. 
so that the beaver food delivery can happen. That's agility. Those people deserve a wee bit of credit for that. That they moved something that we've been doing for many years uh, so that some other people could benefit. We need to be ready for that. Verse 27 to 30 is an example of something else that runs through this uh, chapter. And it's a phrase, another phrase, and it's, it's, it runs like next to them, or beside them, or adjoining. And it runs all the way through. In fact, I counted it up 33 times in 32 verses. To get the job done, there needed to be no breaks in the wall, so they worked beside one another. You see, that's the, the significance in building a protecting wall. It needs to have no gaps. So all the way through we read, they worked beside, they worked next to, there were no gaps anywhere, they were adjoining. And I think that means that that probably meant the things that aren't written there was there were an awful lot of uh, conversations like, um, what's that you're doing? Or would you have a brick that would fit in here? Or this is heavy, would you give us a hand? So in my mind what these verses teach us as a church is that we need to get used to saying things like uh, Carson, I don't know how to fix the brakes on a bicycle but I can change a tyre or put in a new tube. Could I come down some Saturday morning with you for a couple of hours and do some work? Or I'm very keen on making wee movies with my phone and I do it you know, at school or I do it in other situations or as a student or uh, with my family. Um, if you ever needed something filmed or, or a wee movie made about something, um, could I lend a hand with that? Or it goes a bit like this. I hear, Chris, that you want to put some outdoor furniture out in the prayer garden. I've got a van or I've got a trailer. I know some of that can be heavy. Could I give you a hand sometime? Or it could be, uh, I'm still not terribly confident going out through the door yet, but I do have a phone and I don't mind talking to people. Janice. Are there any more of those phone calls that we need to make to people who are housebound? Or it could be uh, that you give electronically as a donation and we're very thankful for everybody who gives in any way at all. Uh, but for some people out there, uh, particularly some people who are housebound, having a wee set of envelopes on the fireplace is really reassuring. Makes them feel that they belong. And uh, the opposite happens when those envelopes are out of date. Makes people feel as if they don't belong anymore. So we've got a new set of envelopes ready to go out. Jennifer, are there any of those that I could deliver? Could I take half a dozen of those and drop them through people's letterboxes? On it goes. There was a farmer on a tractor one day sitting in the field. And there was a DOE van down on the main road. And uh, he watched as it stopped about every 30 metres. Somebody leapt out of the front and dug a hole. When he had dug the hole, he leapt back in and somebody else leapt out and filled the hole in. And then they moved along and they did the same thing all the way along the side of this field. And the only thing was there were young trees and flower pots sticking out of the back of it. It was an open top van uh, sticking out of the back of it. So he couldn't stick it any longer. He went down to ask and said, what is going on here? You leap out and dig a hole and you leap out and fill the hole. Uh, are you just digging holes? And they said, no, 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 we're not digging holes. We're planting trees right along this verge. Uh, and he said, but nobody's touched the trees. And the guy said, oh, they said, oh, the guy that puts the trees in the holes is off sick today. <laughs> okay. It's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
There are things need to be done. There are a couple more verses. And I'm going to leave out the names because it's, it's too difficult. Beyond them, so-and-so and so-and-so made repairs in front of their house. Next to them, da-da-da-da-da, made repairs beside his house. Next to them, da-da-da, and their family repaired another section from so-and-so's house to the angle at the corner. Above the horse gate, the priests and their families made repairs, each in front of their own house. Next to them, somebody's family made repairs opposite their house. Next to them, the guards and their families made repairs. Next to them, the family repaired another section, section and then another name of a family made repairs opposite their living quarters. Now you could see why you would want to do that because if you're building this protecting wall you want to make sure the bit that protects your house or where you live is done well. Now I would like to believe that these people uh, didn't walk around the wall every night to see how everybody else's bit was getting on. They took responsibility for fixing the bit that needed to be fixed near them. And this is where I think the COVID thing uh, gets a wee bit of encouragement from Nehemiah chapter 3. That we feel disappointed when it looks like other people don't seem to follow the restrictions. But our Bible teaches us that we're not here to judge others. We're only here to do the things that are right. And I'm going off to Roselawn in a couple of hours. And the number of events that I've been part of, both as a parish and outside of our parish, at diocesan level and at other things, where we follow the guidelines when we're inside the building, where it's all organised for us and everything else. But when we get outside the doors, we forget all about them at times. And I'm as bad as anybody else. And what I'm really trying to say... and the, so I'm not going to be an old moan at all of this, but there's no point in, in pointing the finger at people in other parts of the city or other parts of the nation. Um, when we keep making the same mistakes ourselves, even though we don't want to. And as, as things begin to open up a bit, and sorry, lots of things are closing down a bit, but as, as we take the risk of doing some more things that allow us to gather together in our buildings or out around the outside of our buildings or whatever, um, we need to be taking seriously, like these people in chapter 3, of building securely and strongly and well where we are. Next to our house, and I don't mean in our garden or whatever, but you know what I mean in our community and in the life of our church. We need to be taking these things very seriously. And that means also taking them seriously when nobody sees us. That's really difficult. When there's nobody around, you know, are we thinking, oh, it'll never happen to me. Uh, but we need to be doing this because if I build the bit of the wall nearest to my house, it will protect everybody else in the city. I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you that you held back nothing. That your sacrifice was total. That your effort and commitment was everything. Now we recognise we're fallible. So our intention is to live well and to live with sacrifice, to give and not to count the cost. Would you help us to grow again and to thrive again, to get beyond surviving and start thriving? Let's worship together.